This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Well, things are looking up for the fish right now. They've won four in a row. They're five and two so far on this three-team homestand as of the time of this recording. They dropped two of three against the San Diego Padres to begin the stretch at Lone Depot Park. Then they swept the lowly Oakland Athletics, and they won their series opener against the Kansas City Royals nine to six put themselves five games above 500, 33 and 28 early into the third month of the season. Considering the state of the National League overall, that has them among the top teams overall in the in the league. They're second in the NL East, two and a half games above the New York Mets, and only three games behind the Atlanta Braves who are leading the division. Fittingly enough, the Braves and the Mets are about to start a three-game series, so the standings up at the top of the division could really fluctuate over the course of the next three days. Uh, We'll get to the crux of Miami's overall success a little bit later in the episode. First, we need to address the main individual accomplishment that's in the making right now with these Miami Marlins, and that's Luis Arise. Arguably the biggest addition that the team made this offseason via that trade with the Minnesota Twins where they sent away pitcher Pablo Lopez, uh, infielder prospect Jose Salas, and another prospect. And... As of right now, it's looking like an early win for the Marlins when you look at that trade. I mean, all Luis Arise is doing is hitting. He's, how do I put it? I mean, I guess just simplest way to put it, his batting average entering today, June 6, 2023, is 399. You heard that correctly. We're more than two months into the season. Arise has already taken more than 230 play appearances. He's hitting a tick below 400. He's clearing the competition right now in the batting average category. The Toronto Blue Jays' Bo Bichette is second in all of Major League Baseball. He's hitting 333, 66 points below Luis Rice. Uh, Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna are tied for third and in se- and tied for second in the National League. They're hitting 331, 68 points below Luis Rice. And just the reminder of just how important and how significant that 400 mark is. No one in MLB has finished a season with a 400 batting average or better since Ted Williams in 1941. That's 82 years ago, people. I'm not saying Arise is going to be the one to break that streak and be the be the first guy since Ted Williams to hit 400. But I'm also not certain. I'm also certainly not doubting that he could do it either. I mean, just look at what he's done this year. He's played in 56 games. He has multiple hits in 25 of those 56 games. That includes eight games with at least three hits, two with at least four hits, and then over the weekend against Oakland, he had his first career five-hit game. And those eight games with at least three hits, that matches the total number of starts that he has in which he's gone hitless. He has eight three-plus-hit games. He has eight starts with zero hits. That's just unreal. And it's not just singles that he's hitting anymore. He has 15 doubles. It leads the team. It's tied for 22nd in all of baseball. And if he 
touches the ball, he's going to put it in play, basically. He's only struck out 11 times in those 231 play appearances. That's a 4.8% strikeout rate. And he's also only whiffed on just 6.9% of his swings, which is actually a career best mark. So in addition to winning a batting title last year, entering with entering the season with just an unreal batting average to start his young career. Remember, he's only 26, folks. He's getting better this year. And the comps we've seen throughout the past season, uh, Tony Gwynn, Rod Carew, uh, just for his knack to put, hit the ball to all fields and basically just find ways to get the ball where the defense isn't. He's just so incredibly talented and able to manipulate the bat. It's just... He walked up to the plate, sees where the defense lined up and goes, okay, the ball needs to go there and finds a way to get the ball there. Oh, I need to hit the ball anywhere but here. He hits it anywhere but here. It's fantastic to watch. He's humble almost to a fault with it. And he leaves his teammates just mesmerized where they're basically half the guys are either saying their jaw drops or it's not surprising anymore. And it's just to be able to watch the feet taking place and watching it unfold in person. It's been a lot of fun. And while the focal point is understandably on his offense, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention what he's doing defensively as well at second base. He's tied for third in MLB with four defensive runs saved to the position, according to fan graphs. And that's key because the Minnesota twins were willing to trade a rise primarily because they didn't think he had a defensive home. He's found one at second base with the Marlins and second base was his natural position coming up in the minor leagues. He bounced around between first and second at with Minnesota last year, played a decent amount of DH as well. And when I talked with the rise earlier in the season, when he got to the 500 hit milestone, I asked him if only having to worry about playing second base has helped him with his offense because he's not having to think about his defensive responsibilities as much. Whereas basically going some days having to play second and then having to play first and then having to just re rejigger the mind about what he's doing defensively in addition to his offense preparation. And he said playing second base is free, almost exclusively playing second base has freed up his mind when he's at the plate. And we're seeing the results there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And with that, a question I know a lot of you have, and I've been getting it a decent amount on social media as well. Are the Marlins going to extend them? Have contract extension talks begun to take place yet? The long and short, not yet. Uh, Marlins general manager, Kim Ang, she spoke with a small group of reporters on Friday. She mentioned that they have not talked with Arise's representatives yet about an extension, but that doesn't mean that they aren't going to start talking. And it doesn't, doesn't disclude them from having those type of talks midseason. It's tougher to do it during the season, but it's not impossible. And also to remember, Arise and Team Control for two more years. They have them through the 2025 season. There's plenty of time to work out a deal, but the longer that they wait, the higher the asking price will likely become. 
So that's something the Marlins have to figure out logistically how they want to attack that. But for the time being, soak up what Arise is doing. It's, again, it's potentially history in the making here, folks. And it's helping the Marlins get to where they want to be in the bigger picture. So on that note, with that segue, let's start looking at the team as a whole. And like I mentioned at the top of the episode, Miami's five games over 500 just past the 60-game mark. And given the state of the National League as a whole, that has them as the fifth-best team by record in the National League. Only the Braves, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and Pirates have a better record than the Marlins entering the time of this recording. So what exactly is working? And I hate to do this, but love to do this at the same time. The Marlins are basically going with a Ted Lasso-esque approach. And for those of you who haven't seen the show, series finale aired last week. Three seasons, Apple TV, Jason Sudeikis, absolutely phenomenal series. I highly recommend it. And it all revolves around the phrase believe. And I've heard that phrase talking to at least a half dozen people inside the clubhouse over the last few days, asking them what sparked this turnaround, even from where they were a year ago. Remember, Marlins were 69 and 93 a year ago. They're 33 and 28 right now and looking like they're trending upward. Uh, new manager, Skip Schumacher, who, like myself, is an avid Ted Lasso fan. He's created an upbeat and positive culture with this clubhouse. Uh, and you also have to give a lot of credit to his staff and also the three key offseason player additions that the Marlins made. Arise, first baseman Yuli Gurriel, and infielder Gene Segura. They've stepped up and become veteran voices, despite this being their first year with the Marlins. They all understand what it takes to win. They all came from winning teams. Gurriel, specifically, won two World Series with the Astros. He made to at least the ALCS six straight years with the Astros. Gene Segura, he made to the World Series last year with Philly. Luis Arrives was on a winning team with the Twins. And I really need to specifically shout out Yuli Gurriel because... He's quickly become that clubhouse favorite, that guy that everyone gravitates toward. And a lot of time it's just chit-chatting, having fun, casual conversation. But they're also picking his brain about what it takes to be a successful player day in and day out. The consistency, especially for a guy like Gurriel, who went from being an everyday first baseman with Houston to being a spot starter, platoon type guy at first base with Garrett Cooper. And Gurriel's had to adjust his routine. He's doing a lot more work on the days that he's not starting, uh, even to the point where he's basically taking swings and doing basically a round or two of batting practice at home before coming to the ballpark to make sure that he's ready for when his name is called. And he's been telling the team over and over, we're going to be a team that plays in October. And his thought process is the more that he says it, the more that the team is going to start believing it themselves. There's that word again. And that they're going to think that they are a team that can not only make the postseason, but make a run. And considering where the Marlins are right now, they're winning despite not being at what they think is going to be their peak. I mean, if you look at the roster right now, they're in without Jazz Chisholm Jr., who's still sidelined with turf toe. They haven't had their primary closer in A.J. Puck for more than two weeks. Puck, however, is expected to return either today, Tuesday, June 6th, or tomorrow before the Marlins go on to their next road trip. He's got to add back to the active roster at some point before this homestand ends. Jesus Sanchez just returned after going on the IL for two weeks right when he was getting high at the plate. 
Avcel Garcia underperformed for basically the entire time he's been with the Marlins. He's hurt right now as well. Uh, Trevor Rogers, Johnny Cueto, two-fifths of their starting rotation to begin the season. Not with the team right now. Rogers expected to be back probably about a week and a half. He's making his third rehab assignment start this weekend. Supposed to go six innings at AAA Jacksonville. If that goes well, my anticipation is his next turn of the rotation will be with the Marlins. But a rotation as a whole, only a 4-4-3 ERA. That's 16th in MLB. Not what anyone was expecting going into the season when you had Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Jesus Lazario, Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett even impressing, and now Eri Perez filling one of those rotation spots. But if you told me the Marlins were going to have a collective ERA above 4-4 for their starting pitchers, and they'd be five games above 500, you'd be taking that and running. And the Marlins are taking that and running. They're beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. They're competitive against the top teams in the league. And you look at the record overall, they're 16-4 and in one-run games. They won 24-40 and in those last year. They have eight wins this year when they were either tied or trailing after the eighth inning. They have three walk-off wins already. Not including this current series against the Royals. They've won 10 of their 19 series. They have four series sweeps, and they've only been swept themselves once. That's a recipe for success. Win series, go at least 500 on the road, try to have a winning record at home. That should get you into the playoffs. Again, it's early. Played 61 games. There's still 100 games left to go. But the Marlins have seemed to have found a formula for success with ways to even find, even take their game up another notch. So we've seen a very good first two months from these Miami Marlins. It's now just a matter of what do they do from here on out? What do they do once the trade deadline comes at the end of July to try to improve their roster? Because again, ideally they can get at least one more impact bat to round out this lineup to go along with the rotation that they're adamant is going to turn around and the bullpen that is frankly impressed. And I feel like I'm kicking myself for not talking about just how good they've been. Again, then without AJ Puck, Dylan Floro easily slid back into the closer spot. Tanner Scott has has had a very solid year so far. Andrew Nardi's had a solid year. Uh, JT Chagua has held his own. Again, they missed, they missed him the month or so that he was out as well. Andrew Nardi has been very good. I'm going to have a story on him up on the Herald website very soon, just about his role and the value that he took from all those struggles last year to now being used in a high leverage situations this year. They just, they've added depth. They found ways to mitigate their losses when they have big guys go down. And it's been a collective team effort. Obviously the big names like Luis Arise and Jorge Soler with the 17 home runs. Those are names people are going to talk about, but from top to bottom, they've been getting the contributions they needed from guys when they've needed them. And that's what this team needs. If they're going to make a push. We'll see how that continues to go throughout the season. But for now, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again, as always, for tuning in. We'll be back again next week.